Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoy today's message. And I want to share with you, uh, really, the, the, the pretext of what I want to talk about is that if you're familiar with Genesis to the book of Revelation, which we are, I mean, let's face it, most of us are, you start to realize as you read through the Besorot, the gospel narratives, you, you realize that the gospel narratives and some of the events that take place in Yeshua's life connect back to some of the things we read in the Torah, in the Torah. And it's an amazing connecting there. It's, it's like the, we, we, we say that the, God speaks with one voice throughout all those books. He's speaking with one voice. Uh, he's, he's not, uh, he doesn't speak with two voices. He speaks with one voice and, and one directive towards his people. And we, we might synthesize that down to the idea that he's holy, he wants us to be holy, he, uh, he's, he's blameless, and he also wants us to walk in a blameless manner as much as we're able to, and, and many other things that we'll discuss here in a moment. And I want to, I want to bring to our attention today a passage from one of the Besorot, from one of the Gospels, and it's, a, it's Luke chapter 14, beginning with verse 1. And as we read this uh, particular scenario that Luke points out to us, uh, just keep in mind that this, the, the scriptures are integrated. There, there's one voice here. And, and I think you'll see as we read this, it's, it's, uh, it's paralleled by other uh, events in Yeshua's life that they connect back somehow to what, what the Torah says and what we read in the uh, Nevi'im and the prophets or in the Kittuvim and the writings. But here's what happened. Luke chapter 14, verse 1. Now when Yeshua, Yeshua is the Hebrew name for Jesus. Now when Yeshua went into the home of one of the leaders of the Pharisees to eat a meal on Shabbat, they were watching him closely. I just want to point it out to you. Have you ever been in that kind of a situation where somebody, uh, the whole group's just watching you closely? <laughs> And so he goes into the, to the home of one of the leaders of the Pharisees, the Proshim, to eat a meal on Shabbat, and there they are, they're watching him closely. And there before him was a man swollen with fluid, the term that's often used in some of the translations is a man with dropsy. Now, I'm not a medical person, and some of you listening may be medical people, but when I think of dropsy, I think of just somebody that drops stuff all the time. But this guy was swollen with much fluid. So he, that's a medical condition often translated as dropsy. So Yeshua, there at the Shabbat dinner, Yeshua said to the Torah lawyers and the Pharisees, is it permitted to heal on Shabbat or not? What a question. <laughs> 
And here's their response. It's in verse 4 of Luke chapter 14. But they kept silent. So Yeshua took hold of him, the, the person with dropsy, and healed him, and then he sent him away. Verse 5 says, Then he said to them, and remember, they were there watching him closely. These are leaders among the group, the Pharisees and the Sophrim. Then he said to them, Which of you, with a son or an ox, falling into a well on Yom Shabbat, on the Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they, the next phrase to me is very interesting. And they could not reply to these things. So his question was, fairly simple, not big theology, not a lot of big theological words. He says, which of you with a son or an ox falling into a well on Yom Shabbat will not immediately pull him out? Immediately pull him out. And they could not reply to these things. Yeshua's question, and I've already said it twice, but let me repeat it again. Which of you with a son or an ox falling into a well on Yom Shabbat on the Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? That question had an obvious answer, didn't it? Those of you who are parents, you probably recognize, you recognize that if that was your son that fell or your daughter that fell into the pit, into the well, however you want to interpret that Greek word, you would want to immediately extract that person from that pit or well. But remember, their response was silence. They'd been watching him closely, probably everything he was doing, and anything he said, they were listening closely to him. And, but that particular question, which has an obvious answer, of course, any parent would want to immediately extricate the son or daughter that they love from the well, from the pit. So it had an obvious answer to the question that Yeshua asked him when he said, which of you with a son or an ox falling into a well at, on Yom Shabbat would not immediately pull him out? And no one raised their hand and said, I wouldn't. None of them did that. Because it was obvious that each of them would have pulled out their son if their son had fallen into that well or pit. They would have pulled him out. And they would have pulled that son out whether it was Shabbat or not Shabbat. They would have pulled them out. But why didn't they reply to Yeshua's question? There was an obvious response they could have made. But they didn't. And here the word obvious, and I'll be using that word quite a bit here this morning. Obvious, that word is a synonym. It's a synonym for something that's clear cut, something that's apparent, something that's more or less an open and shut case, an obvious thing. An obvious thing. And you realize in real life that uh, when people care about you, that can become very obvious to you. You know what else becomes obvious? When they don't care about you. <laughs> so the word obvious is almost neutral. It can apply to both the good and the bad side. But he, it's an obvious thing. If their son or daughter had fallen in a pit, obviously they would have pulled that person out, whether it was Shabbat or not. Now, a truthful answer on the part of the Torah teachers and the Pharisees that were there at that time would have indicated 
to them, if they had said, yes, I would pull out my son on Shabbat, you know what that would have meant to them? It would have meant that they needed to change their thinking. They needed to change their thinking. To give some room, perhaps, that maybe when it came to the Shabbat that there was a pikuach nefesh, as it's called, there was a reason when the preservation of life is necessary, yes, you can do those kind of things. And I believe, and I'm sure you would agree with me, Yeshua knew exactly what they were thinking. (laughs) I even have the sense that he knew they wouldn't answer when he asked that simple question, would you pull your son on Shabbat out of the pit? Luke 14, verse 6 tells us that their answer was, here's their answer, listen closely. Silence. It says, further, they could not reply to these things. They couldn't give Yeshua an answer. Now, simply stated, they really chose not to respond to the obvious. An honest response would have meant that they were wrong in some of their thinking, and it meant even further that they would need to change some of their thinking some of their ways, and maybe even, can I use this term, it's more of a modern term, but their theology. Their teachings, they would have to change. Instead, they wanted to maintain their own status quo rather than changing. And before we get too high-minded about this, have we ever done something like that? Have we ever been recalcitrant towards real change in our life, towards the good things, the obvious things that we need to change? Have we been obdurate about it and not wanted to do it? Probably many of us would raise our hand and say, yes. There have been some things in my life that I know I need to change, but I've been obdurate about it. I haven't wanted to do it. Obstinate would be another word. So the Pharisees, those Torah lawyers, as they're called in one translation, the Sophrim, etc. To answer Yeshua correctly, yes, I would immediately pull my son, would have meant they had to rethink some of their own thinking, come to a new place in their own thinking, and perhaps even that would warrant a new type of action there. Yet this incident concerning Yeshua and the man with dropsy with the swelling that he had that we just read from Luke chapter 14 was one of several type of incidents like that where Yeshua Yeshua's responded with, with silence, with no response, nothing. And sometimes silence is a response, isn't it? And there are several, and we won't go through all them, but there are several times in the, in the Besorot, in the Gospels, where Yeshua does something and says something and asks a question, and what does he get? He gets the silent treatment in response. <laughs> now, be, without going too far aside here, we can use the silent treatment nowadays too, can't we? How many of you have experienced the silent treatment from someone? Well, you raised your hand and I didn't even ask you to. <laughs> The silent treatment, and for some people that's absolutely brutal treatment, where you just want someone to respond. You just want a response, and and the silent treatment comes. Now, as I said, if you carefully check the Besarot, the Gospels, there are several key times where Yeshua is given the silent treatment. 
They really knew how to answer, but they went silent. Because if they would have answered, they would have realized and would have had to conclude that they needed to change. They needed to rethink some of their theology, so to say. They needed to rethink some of their approach to life. And rather than fess up and admit the answer, they go silent. Because to admit the answer would mean change in their life. Now, I know there are certain type of personalities and people that just don't like change. <laughs> uh, I can tell you in many years in congregational leadership that anytime there's any type of a change that has any type of drama connected to it, there are certain people that just, they just, they freeze up because they don't like change. They may warm up to it a little later, but they don't like change. If we were starting to say, and we're not going to, by the way, but we started to say that we're going to meet at 9 a.m. every Shabbat, <laughs> I promise you I would get this silent treatment from some folks. <laughs> but there's the other type, and they would give me the verbosity treatment, all the words they can think of and tell me. Now, again, let me do a disclaimer. We're not planning to change the, the time of the service. At one time, we, we thought about changing it to 10.30, <laughs> It's just 10 minutes. <laughs> and we thought, no, no, that's not going to go either. <laughs> but note, this, note what happens in Matatiao in Matthew chapter 12, verse 9. And this, is, this, this event occurs, and you can look at the context, because context is extremely important in biblical understanding. What we're about to read occurred right after Yeshua had said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And then he also said, right before this incident we're going to read in Matthew chapter 12, verse 9, he also said this, the Son of Man is Lord of the Shabbat. Now, here's what happens after that. Beginning in verse 9 of Matthew 19, leaving from there, Yeshua went into their synagogue Verse 10, a man with a withered hand was there. And so that they might accuse him, they questioned Yeshua. Now, would he give them the silent treatment back? They questioned Yeshua, saying, is it permitted to heal on Shabbat? And they questioned him why that they might accuse him, it tells us. In verse 11, he doesn't give them the silent treatment. <laughs> Verse 11, he said to them, What man among you will not grab his sheep and lift it out if it falls into a pit on Shabbat? It's curious. We don't know if some of the same people that were there previously at the meal happened to be at the synagogue that day. We don't know. But has God ever have to bring something back to you, to your attention, more than one time? I, it's happened with me uh, more times than I can count. I didn't always get it the first time, the first lesson. Do you always get it the first lesson when the Ruach, the Spirit of God, brings something to you? Do you always get it the first time? I don't. I admit it. <laughs> Perhaps there were some who had been in the previous uh, dinner that were there at the synagogue. It makes a lot of sense. We don't know for sure, and the text doesn't tell us. But in their synagogue, that's when they, they're ready to accuse him, and they question him, is it permitted to heal on Shabbat? And he said to them, what man, and Yeshua said to them, what man among you will not grab a sheep and lift it out if it falls into a pit on Shabbat? 
It's obvious for every other day, but it should also be obvious for the Shabbat that if it falls into the pit, pikuach nefesh, as we now call it, preservation of life, of a soul, you pull that sheep out. And before he said, the child, your child, your son. He continues Yeshua. He doesn't give them the silent treatment. He continues to talk to them. And he says, how much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? And a man, a son, was what he had used previously. Therefore, he says this, and we need to remember this. In our designation of how we deal with the Sabbath, he said, therefore, it is permitted to do what? To do good on Shabbat. It's permitted to do good on Shabbat. And I love this next part. <laughs> then Yeshua said to the man, remember the man with the withered hand that was there, had probably been, we not told the, the Greek senses, it was, it was not a young person, it was an older person, so he probably had a withered hand for many years in his life. And he had probably been to that synagogue many times on Shabbat. They probably knew him. And Yeshua said to the man, and he doesn't give the man the silent treatment. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man, and here's the critical point here. The man could have folded his arm, withered hand and all, and said, no, I'm not sure. How dare you tell me what to do on Shabbat? But he doesn't do that. So innocently and childlike, it says, then he stretched it out. Now, before he had this withered hand, and he probably tried many times to get that thing right. But he stretched it out, and it was restored to the glory of God. And it was restored. And it was restored, and the text is very careful to tell us, uh, and the text was careful to tell us, this is the Tree of Life version, it says, it was restored as healthy as the other. Blessed be the name of the Lord, huh? There's so much more about this, and we can't go into it, but just think of the change. We're talking about change. Just think of the change that came into that man's life. Has the Lord touched you in such a way in your withered state that he's brought good change to your life? I'm a testimony of that. Has he spoken to you and didn't give you the silent treatment when you were crying out to him and responded to, he responded to your cries for help? I'm a testimony to that. He restored the wither. He, he restores withered lives. He restores and brings out of the pit those who are falling into the pit. He's the Lord of the Shabbat. He's the Lord of every other day. And he wants to be the Lord of your life today, every part of your life. Don't hold anything back from him. He's the Lord. But this is not the end of this scenario that we read in Matthew chapter 12, verse 9 and forward. We come to Matthew chapter 12, verse 14. At this point, it's curious, although it never uses the, the term they were silent, there's no more dialogue from them. They were there ready to catch him, but they don't say anything else. That also happens a number of times in the Gospels, in the Besoro. Yeshua does something, and they don't know how to respond. And at this point, there's no further dialogue. After Yeshua heals the man with the withered hand right there in the synagogue, there's no further dialogue. There's a silence that comes. 
They're not recorded as saying anything else. But there was action that occurred. Not just words. Action that occurred because of what Yeshua did on that Shabbat in the synagogue. And it says in verse 14 of Matthew chapter 12, But the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. Verse 15, (laughs) knowing this, Yeshua knew exactly what they were doing. How brave was the Messiah. Knowing this, Yeshua went away from there, and it says, and large crowds followed him, and you know what he does? He heals them all. He heals them all. It's not like he recoils and says, well, I'm not going to do anything anymore. I got opposition. He heals them all, the text tells us. Large crowds follow him. He heals them all. You see, friends, when it comes to the immutable truths of Scripture, the immutable truths of Scripture, some things that Scripture tells us are all but obvious. And we'll acknowledge that, hey, these are obvious things. They may necessarily cause some change in our lives if we follow and obey them. There are scriptural precepts that are obvious. They're there. From, they're from Genesis to Revelation. There are truths, uh, uh, founded truths that we can look at. And if we will respond to those truths with our life and, and then with our actions in the right ty- type of way, we will come to changes in our life. Has the Word of God ever convicted you when you've read it and caused you to think, wow, I need to do differently here? It has for me. In fact, it still does. And there are many obvious truths. And let me just, just so you, maybe I can explain a little more what I'm trying to say here this morning. There are obvious, clearly presented, apparent truths that are set forth. And I'm just going to mention the Brit Hadashah, the New Covenant. They're set forth in the New Covenant, but they, they parallel all the Scripture. Here are some of the obvious truths. They're, they're obvious to you. You will know all of these if you read Scripture and you were truly open to the message of Scripture. For example, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's an obvious truth. <laughs> now, I know there's some think that they're really way up there, up, up towards the pantheon of life. But the truth is we've all sinned. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it also says, and it's an obvious truth, it was, goes back to the Garden of Eden, to Gan Eden and forward, that the wages of sin is death. The consequence is death. But the gift of God, and here's an obvious truth if you read all of Scripture, the gift of God is eternal life through faith in Yeshua the Messiah. And it also tells us, it's an obvious truth, by the works of Torah, no man will be justified before God because we've all sinned. No one completely follows the Torah. No one. How about this obvious truth? By grace we are saved through faith. That's an obvious truth. By grace we're saved through faith, and it is a free gift of God, a doria, a free gift of God. It is not based on our works. That's an obvious truth. And how about this one? We are his workmanship. In Ephesians 2, it goes right into this idea. We're his workmanship, and we are created in the Messiah, Yeshua. We are created for good works. And how about this obvious truth? We are to keep pressing on in the high calling of God that's upon our life. We keep pressing on. 
Rob Shaul stated it wonderfully over and over again. I keep pressing on. We don't look backwards now. We press forward to the high calling of Messiah Yeshua on our life. And we are to walk in the Spirit of God and to be empowered by Him. That's an obvious truth. And the Scripture clearly says, and I'm quoting from the book of Romans, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God, those who are led by the Spirit of God. But how about this one? Here's an obvious truth. Scripture teaches it throughout. Yeshua will return at the exact right time. (laughs) They even asked him in Acts chapter 1, is this the time you're going to set up the kingdom? Yeshua will return at the exact right time, and we don't know when it will be tonight. Now, I've heard people say, no, it can't, he can't come back tonight. I mean, he, he, not everything's done yet. Oh, really? Do you know it all that well? Are you going to give God advice? <laughs> are you going to give the counselor counsel? <laughs> are you going to tell him whose ways are blameless what he should be doing? <laughs> Who knows? I've, I've stepped back from the position of knowing when Yeshua will return. And I think we need to live as if He could come any moment to our life. And our life could be over at any moment, any day. We should live as if this is the last day of our life and serve God fully and completely. Run the course completely. And when He comes back, the Scripture is clear. If you read Matthew 25, it's very clearly spelled out in more than one way. He will separate the goats from the sheep. You know it's okay to do a little <laughs> make sure you really are a sheep. <laughs> He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. And you know ultimately this is a truth established in places like Isaiah, established in Philippians, established in Habakkuk. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He's the Lord. <laughs> Blessed be His name. Now obviously, obviously, we could, we could state further many other truths, but this one also is throughout Scripture. We are to love God. How many agree that's in Scripture, to love God? I hope so. In this congregation, we repeat it every Shabbat. And you shall love the Lord your God. We are to love God, but, but hold on now. We're also to love one another just as Yeshua told us. So love your neighbor as yourself. And if you think that I'm overstating that, well, 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says this, We ourselves love now because He loved us first. <laughs> verse 20 is a hard one. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother. This is in the Bible, the next words. He is a liar. (laughs) For if a person does not love his brother whom he has seen, then he cannot love God whom he has not seen. (laughs) Yes, verse 22 of 1 John chapter 4, uh, verse 21. Yes, this is the command we have from him. Whoever loves God must love his brother too. Now, I don't know about you, but what that means to me is that I might need to change sometimes 
my feelings and thoughts and make sure that I'm following through what the Lord said to do. And that brings us back to the book of Exodus. These texts are integrated. Genesis through Revelation, they're integrated. And back in the book of Exodus, we read in this week's Parashah, we'll study it a little later this afternoon, that after Israel was given the Aser Tadibrot, the Ten Pronouncements, the Ten Words, the Ten Commands, after Israel was given the Ten Commands, we read about it in Exodus chapter 20. After that, and when we get into chapter 21 of Exodus, we find, if you number them, we find nearly 60 other specific commandments that were given that are recorded in the next three chapters. That would be Exodus 21, 22, and 23. 24 goes back to a narrative text. 60, approximately 60, depending on how one decides what a commandment is, but approximately 60 other specific commandments were given after the Yaserita Dibrot, after the Ten Pronouncements, the Ten Words, the Ten Commandments. And if you wonder what did those commandments talk about, let me list for you several things what the commandments talk about in Exodus 21, 22, and 23. Some of these commandments involved kidnapping, cruelty to servants, restitution by thieves, <laughs> concern for widows and for the fatherless, that's addressed, and also not showing partiality to the poor, that's addressed. Also, there's a command not to revile God in any way, to revile the Lord. Can we do that beyond our, our, our verbal? Yes, we can do it with our actions to be reviling towards the Lord. And there's a command to bring the first fruits into the house of God, all the first fruits. And there's also a commandment to avoid bribes. What a good political world it would be if all bribes were taken out of the scene. And the commandments go on, but each of these commandments, the nearly 60 of them, some are very positive, some are what we would call negative commandments, thou shalt not. Each command is meant to foster within the community righteous community living so that the people could live together, get along with one another, and to use the new covenant parlance to be able to love one another. So there are commands to help, to guide to teach us how to treat one another, how to deal with matters that come up along the way of life. And also in this week's section of Exodus, and see if this sounds familiar if you didn't read the Torah portion, in this week's section of Shemot, Exodus, one of the more, at least in my opinion, more riveting and challenging commandments is found in Exodus chapter 23, verse 4. And I'll be reading the complete Jewish Bible version. Here's what it says. If you come upon your enemy's ox or donkey straying, you must return it to him. You must return it to him. And I can tell you that years ago when I was living on a kibbutz outside of Rosh Ha'in in Israel, we actually had a donkey come across from the Moshav across from us and wandered into our kibbutz. <laughs> Just happy-go-lucky donkey. You know, wandered on in. And we wonder, well, whose donkey is this and what do we do with it? And we finally realized it was coming from a particular road and there was only a Moshav down at the end of that road. So we got the thing back to the Moshav and they were, had been looking for that donkey. So we returned the donkey. But this says, if you come upon your enemy's ox 
or donkey straying. You must return it to him. And this commandment would be basically, what, what would we call it, a no-brainer? Uh, an action all would do without even thinking, a no-brainer, this commandment. If just one word was changed within that commandment, that one would be, if you come upon your friend's ox, it would be a no-brainer. Your friend, you're going to return it to your friend. What do you do with an enemy? <laughs> Puts you kind of in the driver's seat, doesn't it? You have their valuable item. What do you do with it? Because it does say if you come upon your enemy's ox. And we know there is a difference between a friend and an enemy. How many know there's a difference between a friend and an enemy? As far as interrelationship, for sure. Just like there's a difference between love and hate and a difference between hope and despair and being generous and being stingy and life and death and faith and unbelief and saved and unsaved. There's a difference. And serving the Lord and not serving the Lord, there is a difference. So how you personally answer questions, for example, this one, how you personally, putting aside everyone else, but how you personally ask questions like, are you saved? Have you given your life fully to the Messiah? No one can answer that for you, but you're answering it right now. Your words and your actions. Are you serving and honoring him? You answer that with your life, your ways, your deeds, your words. We all do. We're showing forth. And it may be obvious to others who look at us exactly how we're answering that question. In each area of our life, we want to make sure we serve the Lord. But the commandment in Exodus chapter 23 verse 4 then continues. Remember it's talked about your, if, if you come upon your enemy's ox. Or donkey. Straying, you must return it to him. But then it continues in verse 5. It says, If you see the donkey which belongs to someone who hates you. Be a little different. It was your friend. <laughs> but if you see the donkey which belongs to someone who hates you lying down, helpless under its load, you are not to pass him by but to go and help him set free. Help him be set free. Help him free it. Now in such a, a circumstance, think about it, a donkey of someone who hates you. <laughs> someone who hates you. And that donkey, which they're dependent on, because it has a load, carrying that load, but it's too much, and the donkey is, is, is smitten by that load, lying there helpless. There could be many different ways to react to that. And a ha our heart attitude can dictate how we react. And by the way, God does see our heart, heart attitudes. He knows exactly what's ticking inside of us, how we are. For some, if they saw their enemies, donkey, on the side of the road, overburdened and unable to move, they could respond in many different ways. There could be a temptation to kind of think like this, like, <laughs> I got him now. <laughs> He's getting what he deserves. <laughs> Serves him right. That diabolical kind of response to seeing that poor creature who someone hates you owns, but that poor creature's suffering under that load and we could think oh good he deserves it he got what he deserves and we could even go far and say well, I hope he learns not to mess with me 
<laughs> I'm the man. <laughs> I'm just leaving that donkey behind. The truth may be quite different than that kind of a response. God does not want animosity and other trafe attitudes that we have inside of us to taint our hearts. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want inner attitudes to taint our words, inner attitudes that are astray from Him and His commandment to taint our words and to dictate our actions. Even if it is the donkey of someone that hates you, you should still help that donkey. And that's a hard lesson, isn't it? Because there are many that would think, oh, this is my advantage. I got them where I want them. (laughs) He desires us, and if I could state in the most terse terms here this morning, He desires us to love one another, to forgive each other, and to honor God in what we say and do. Enemy friend doesn't matter. We remain the same in our walk with the Lord. We do the best we can to serve Him. And if you think I'm overstating this, we studied this this past Tuesday in our Bible story. Let me read you the text from this past Tuesday. It's from Matthew, Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, verse 43. Yeshua says, you have heard that our fathers were told, love your neighbors and hate your enemy. Love your neighbors and hate your enemy. And then verse 44 is a salient point. But I tell you, love your enemies. Ooh. And he doesn't stop there. He says, pray for those who persecute you. So he expects us to have what? To have a prayer life. Pray for those who persecute you. And then verse 45, the other side of that, there's this great reward. Then you will become children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun shine on good and bad people alike. Is that true? Does the sun shine on good and bad people alike? Very true. And he sends rain to the righteous and the unrighteous alike. Is that true? It's very true. What reward do you get if you love only those who love you? Why, even tax collectors, Moksim, even they do that. And if you are friendly only to your friends, are you doing anything out of the ordinary? Even the Goyim, it says, even the nations do that. Verse 48, therefore be perfect, blameless, just as your Father in heaven is perfectly blameless. And if you're like me, and I believe you probably are, that can be a challenge, can it? That inner life that we have that no one sees except Hashem himself, that can be a challenge when that's not right. We need to make sure we walk right before the Lord. Now be assured here this day as I conclude that the new covenant offers the solution (laughs) to what is incumbent upon us as followers of the God of Israel. Offers the solution. But the new covenant also points us to the provision that we need. The provision is found in the spirit of the Messiah, the Holy Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, it tells us, I say then, walk in the spirit, and what? And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And following through and being angry and striking out against people is a fleshly action for us at this point. 
Then also it continues in a passage well-known. I want to read the well-known part of the passage and then continue further in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But to the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, great uh, goodness, faithfulness, humility, self-control. Nothing in the Torah stands against such things. Moreover, verse 24 those who belong to the Messiah who have put their old nature to death on the stake along with its passions and desires. Verse 25, Galatians chapter 5, since it is through the Spirit that we have life, let it also be through the Spirit that we order our lives day by day. Suffice it to say, we all need the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So to sum up today's message here today, what I've been trying to express. Please, please don't avoid the obvious areas of change that God is pointing out to you in your life. Don't give God the silent treatment when He's pointing something out to you. Change. It's for your own good. And you know what? It's also for the good of those you interact with. If you're always angry about something, well, guess who's impacted those people that interact with you? And you might say, well, oh, no, I would never do that. Transferring of anger is a very common thing. So please don't avoid the obvious areas of change that God points out to you in your life. Let's don't, not give him the silent treatment. Let's give him the yes, Lord, whatever you want, I want to do. And in other words, don't give the Holy Spirit the silent treatment when he brings conviction to you. Now, I'll leave you with this final thought here this morning. It's scripturally obvious, <laughs> abundantly clear, an open and shut case, however you want to say it, that our obligation is to walk in the Spirit. It's obvious. To walk in the Spirit of God, to be filled with the Spirit of God, and to obey the Spirit of God. His Spirit will help us to not go silent when it's time to step to the plate and change where we need to change. And we should not go silent towards the Lord. We should want to say, Ken Adonai. Can you say that with me? Ken Adonai. Let's try it again. Ken Adonai. Yes, Lord. We want to respond affirmatively to God. And, I, and, and come to this place, and the final scripture I'll share with you, and I think King David really in many ways, although he was a, a, a man, a human being like you and me, had many faults. How many of you feel like King David had many faults? And then very quickly you would say, yes, I do too. That's, that's me. But he wrote in Psalm 116, beginning with verse 16, and I'll leave you with this scripture before we pray. He wrote, O Lord, truly I am your servant. Think about that. That was, even an that was either an audacious statement by him or it was the reality that was happening in his life. That was, was in process in his life. I am, gonna, I am truly your servant, Lord. And I pray that's what's happening in us, that we are coming to a place of truly, honestly, and really being his servant. Where even if the enemy ox is on the side of the road we help or the the donkeys on the side of the road overburdened we help even if it's the enemy david said oh lord truly i am your servant 
I am your servant. Notice he repeats it twice. Emphasis. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. And then he says this, hallelujah, you have loosed my bonds. Many of us are in bondage to inner things in our hearts and lives. We need to get rid of it. We're bound by inner attitudes, uh, not willing to change, not willing to step to the plate in areas that we need to. O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. And the response, verse 17, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. Will you bow your heads with me, please? Lord, how we praise you that you are such that you work in our hearts. I pray, Lord, that we would not give you, your spirit, the silent treatment. When you're bringing us to conviction and wanting us to change, I pray, Lord, that you would, you would help us by your spirit, by the power of your spirit to overcome, to step into new areas of freedom because you, O oh Lord, loose our bonds. Help us to be servants for you. Help us, Lord, to truly honor you even when it involves an enemy. Lord, that we would still think of your name and how you called us to represent you. Thank you, Lord. In Yeshua's name, amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pina Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.